Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every week as he talks with the greats of the game. You are the smartest guy I've spoken to on radio or television in my career. And Chris, again, you are, you're knocking out of the park. You're like eight under par in this interview. By having any research, I'm hiring your tail to be the research man. You're the best. You're a fantastic host and tremendously respected in the golf community. Yeah, Chris, you do an amazing job and your listeners are super lucky to have you and it's always my pleasure. Chris Mascaro is the king of the golf podcast. Don't miss him on Tuesdays. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. I really appreciate you coming back and making the show a part of your weekly golf content. I'm fresh off my annual golf trip with my buddies. This year, we went over to Myrtle Beach and played at True Blue Golf Club and Caledonia Golf and Fish Club, the number one and number two rated courses in Myrtle Beach, and we got to see firsthand just why that's so. Caledonia is one of the most beautiful and scenic golf courses that I've ever played. When you drive up the road leading to the clubhouse, it kind of reminds you of driving up Magnolia Lane. Both golf courses were in perfect shape. True Blue gave you very generous fairways to hit off the tee. Caledonia a little bit tighter. Both required accurate second shots to hit the green, well guarded by waste bunkers and water. But the greens were in perfect condition, running about a 10 on the stem. I played reasonably well the first two days and one hole into the third round, and then it was like I never played the game before, but I had a fantastic time with my friends. My thanks to Bart Romano and his wonderful staff for setting things up for us. I hope we get the privilege of playing there again sometime soon. But folks, go online to CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com to check it out and to book your stay-and-play package. You're going to be very glad you went up there and checked it out, like I say. Just a wonderful golf experience all the way around. Okay, on to tonight's show. I've got four great friends that I'm looking forward to sharing with you tonight. First up is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. Tom hasn't been on the show since the huge news of the public investment fund, the PGA Tour, and the DP World Tour all merging together. I'm guessing he might have some passionate opinions about that. Well, he's going to join me to share those opinions in just a few minutes. Following him will be one of the great golf course designers of our time, Bill Bergen. Following Bill will be a guy doing great things out there for our military personnel and veterans through his adaptive golf program, Joe Groman. And then we're going to round out tonight's show with a return visit from the president of the Golf Heritage Society and a wonderful and fascinating man, Dr. Bern Bernacki. So we got a lot of fun in store for you over the next 90 minutes or so. And as always, thank you all so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. I want to start out tonight by reminding you about our friends at the Macklemore, which is a private resort located just south of Chattanooga, high atop Lookout Mountain, Georgia. It's a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the United States by Golf Digest. The 18th hole, as a matter of fact, is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Outpost, is now under construction, which will open summer of 2024. The Outpost is another Bill Berg and Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge. 
with every inch of that edge filled with a golfle. A world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton, will open spring of 2024. Both the course and the hotel have incredible views into historic Macklemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. you got to see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at Macklemore. Go online to macklemore.com to book your stay and play package today. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel on your hand shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. As you guys know by now, if you want to play your best golf ever this season, you need to go down to Club Champion in Naples, Florida and go see Tom in person. If you can't get there, do what he's forcing me to do, and that's download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing through that app. You can find him online at TomPatry.com or on Instagram at TomPatryGolf. I can't stress enough. Be sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel. On there, you're going to get to watch over 300 free video playing lessons. What I do is I take my AirPods with me with my cell phone out to the range so I can listen and watch Tom's instruction right there out on the range and make the corrections that I need to make. Tom, as you guys know, one of my favorite people on the planet. Love the guy very much. He's an outstanding instructor and an even better person. And it's always a privilege to have him with me here on Next on the T. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Boy! <laughs> Hi, Tom. How are you, my friend? Are you over the Red Sox taking two out of three from you, Yankees? And you got to do that. And right now, I got the TV on, and they're down 4 1 to the Mets right now in the third. So you're pouring salt in the open wound, <laughs> as you often do. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. So, Tom. So much has happened since we last spoke on this. No, show. Not, there's nothing going on. What do you yeah. mean? It's a, it's a zero week. Zero <laughs> week. We have the PGA Tour and Jay Monahan holding double secret meetings, which they've been doing for over the last seven weeks, apparently, with the head of the public investment fund, Yasser Aramayan. And you know Jimmy Dunn. He brokered the deal. I know you've been a staunch hater of Liv since its very inception. A week ago today at 10 a.m., Text alerts start going out everywhere about the Monahan and Aramayan CNBC press conference and, and announcing this deal must have sent you through the roof. It wasn't uh, it wasn't my favorite golf news of all time for sure. Um, it's kind of like finding out that I'm having a surprise birthday party. My wife invited Patrick Reed. You know, <laughs> just <laughs> you know, it's uh. It, it, it really, listen, Chris, I think it, for all of us, it rocked us all. Where did it come from? It came out of left field. Nobody had an idea. And nobody ever thought 
in our wildest dreams that one, it would happen, and two, that it would happen the way it happened so secretly and and nobody really was consulted or involved. I don't know if you were called. I wasn't called. I, I thought for sure I'd get a phone call, but you know, I wasn't called at all. You know Jimmy Dunn. You guys have known each other for a long time. Talk about who Jimmy Dunn is. Jimmy Dunn is, uh, you know, without being corny, is, is one of my heroes. Uh, we played junior golf together. He's a, he's a bit older than me. Uh, actually, the first junior golf tournament I ever won, uh, I was paired with Jimmy Dunn. How's that? Uh, at, the, at 13 years old. So we've known each other a long time. And I, I think the world of Jimmy Dunn. Um, Jimmy Dunn is a straight shooter. Jimmy Dunn is a no-nonsense guy. He's a bright guy. He, he's a, a guy that has a lot of reverence for the game of golf and really respects the game of golf. And I think that one of the reasons he's in this, in the middle of this mess is he's trying to make make it work for the game, not necessarily for Jay Monahan or the PGA Tour or anybody else, but for the game of golf. I think he really cares that much about it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, have, I have a lot of respect for Jimmy Dunn. Tom, in your opinion, why was it Jimmy Dunn who went to Yeser Auermeyer and not Jay Monahan? And, and and Chris, this answer is strictly my opinion. And I, I, I you know, we we don't know anything. We don't know what's going behind going on behind closed doors. But if 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 I had my druthers and and I had to negotiate with those folks uh, from Saudi Arabia, and you gave me a choice between Jimmy Dunn being in the room and, and Jay Monahan being in the room, it'd be like. You know, it'd be, like, it'd be like Shaq playing center for me or you playing center for me. You know, <laughs> you know be, I love you, Chris, but you, you wouldn't be my first choice. I mean, Shaq would come a little bit ahead of you. Uh, Jimmy Dunn is a, it, listen, he, he's a ultra successful businessman, Wall Street guy. He, he's, uh, he sat at some tables, for, I'm sure, in some incredible business meetings. Um, and he and Ed Hurley, he are both really smart, smart guys. Uh, I think that uh, when the thing got a little bit out of hand, as we know it did probably from a financial standpoint for the PGA Tour, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't know this, that Jimmy and Ed Hurley, he looked across the table at Jay and said, Jay, you need to, you need to take a seat over in the corner and let us handle this. Um, for, for the greater good of, of the PGA Tour, for the game of golf, and, and for our players. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it went down something like that. Um, you know, who knows? We, we don't really know. We, there's so much we don't know right now. There's so much floating out there. There's so many different contradictory stories that are going, going around and, and terms and what's going to happen with players and events and money and who's going to be made, made whole on this deal. Um, so we don't really know anything right now, really. And I'm completely with you. We don't know all of the details yet. I'm sure more and more details will leak out over time. But with how much the PGA Tour has spent so far with the court case between the two parties, rumored to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $50 million in legal fees, and they haven't even gotten to court yet, and the Tour has already dipped into their reserve funds for lawyer fees and that sort of thing, the PF could have held out and drugged the case on for who knows how long, essentially spending the PGA Tour into bankruptcy if the deal didn't get done. Why do you think Piff and Al Ramayan didn't go that route, spend the PGA Tour down to next to nothing, picked it up for peanuts because this eventually would have cost them so much money they would have had to give in eventually and sell out? I, you know, again, all conjecture. 
and we're, we're just guessing and we're playing devil's advocate, Chris, but I mean, I think, I think a guy like Jimmy sits down at the table with them and says, listen, you want, you went in on golf and, and you have the money and we have the players and the product. We have the events, we have the sites, we have the sponsors, we have the players, you have the money. So why don't we just make nice, nice and figure this out and make all this go away. And I think he did that in respect to the fact that the tour was spending money and was hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging money. And the antitrust, you know, class action suit was not going to, there was potential probably that it wasn't going to be favorable and that would have been a disaster. Uh, so, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy and Ed to the rescue. Um, and I think, you know, the Saudis ultimately got what they want. They got in on a professional golf on, on the grandest stage and, and, and uh, we, we got the lawsuit and, and the money problem to go away. Um, is it what we all wanted? No, but I think, you know, early on, the powers to be, and we're not going to name anybody like Jay, for example, but, you know, they played, they played the wrong deck of cards early on and, and painted themselves into a corner, most likely. So thank God for Ed and Jim, you know. Tom, depending on who you believe, from who was in the room during the meeting that Monahan had with the players prior to last week's Canadian Open, somewhere around 40% of the players were calling for Jay Monahan to resign. Jeff Ogilvie was one of the players in that room, and he confirmed saying the players did, in fact, call for his resignation. Scott Van Pelt said on the Dan Patrick Show that based on things he's heard from players, and not a player, but players, they gave a warm applause when people were yelling for Jay to resign. How does that guy ever get the trust back of the players? And do you think there's a chance at end of, end of this year that perhaps Jay Monahan is no longer the CEO of either the PGA Tour or whatever this new entity is called? First of all, I you know based on things I've heard, and I, again I'm hearing the same things you're hearing. I think probably forty percent was probably low. Uh, it's, it's probably the number's probably higher than that. You know. I've watched and read every single thing I could get my hands on from the time it was announced till now. Um, there's a lot of unhappy campers. So, you know, if this had happened and I was a player at the time, the way it went down after all the things that came out of Jay's mouth a year ago, and, and you know, he's, he's trying to play nice and say, yeah, I know you think I'm a hypocrite. I was always, always acting on the information I had at hand. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not really buying that myself um how do you trust him again well it would be really difficult chris i mean it'd be really hard for me to trust him again and and never believe anything came out of his mouth um you know it's going to come down to a i'm sure it's going to come down to a a player vote it's going to come down to um you know some very very vocal guys that are not happy right now Uh, i just watched i think i said you off air a little while i just watched live from the U.S. Open uh, on the Golf Channel, and I heard Colin Morikawa and John Rahm's interview in the press room today, and they both didn't have great things to say about trusting. They they said they called it trusting leadership. So we know who they're talking about, obviously. So there's two really, really prominent players, uh, obviously two two of the best, uh, making comments like that. It'd be hard to believe he weathers the storm long term. Um, You know, who knows? Who knows? But I don't think it's. I don't think it's good. Van Pelt would go on to say in that interview that, in talking with the players at the highest level of the game, baffled about what had taken place. Them actually asking him what 
he thought would actually happen. And he said, it's a wild place to be when you're asking the guys who passed on the big dough, right? The guys that had offers but didn't go to now buy in and you don't tell them what they're buying into. And then they wake up Tuesday morning to something that's 180 degrees different from what they had been told over the last 18 months. That's a lot to ask guys to accept. And to me, that's that's really the nuts and bolts of it. You told guys one thing, that you would never accept this money, and then you chastised the guys who did. You suspended them. You wanted to fine them. And 18 months later, you're doing the exact same thing that you chastised other people for doing. And then you told the guys, don't go over there. Stay loyal. Told the 9-11 families, hey, we're never going to do business with these guys. How do you look any of those people in the eye and, and take it even a little bit further, Tom, if they're going to really come down hard on the guys who did leave, there's got to be some sort of retribution. We've heard Rory talk about that. You can't just let them all back in the door. How can you not let them all back in the door? You just took the money that you banned those guys for taking. How, how do you say, no, you guys can't come back or you guys need to pay a fine or you need to be suspended for doing the exact same thing I just did? Chris, can I, would I, can I safely assume that you don't like Jay Monahan? <laughs> does that come across? Is that, is, I, I, is that I, obvious? I, I just, I'm just, it's just a, a guess on my part. I just, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kind of poking at you. Is, is, that, is that a possibility? <laughs> are, you not, are you not happy with Jay right now, Chris? I am not happy with Jay come right on. now, Tom. Because I, I have a tea time on Sunday. I thought it was going to be you and I and Jay. We're going to play together. <laughs> I'd <laughs> Next love on that, the by team. the way. Yeah, Can exactly. we do that? I'd love that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you would. I'd have to. I'd have to play referee. Um, <laughs> listen, I, again, I'm gonna. I'm gonna circle back to what he just said. I mean, if it was me and I was a player, and it went, all the things went down the way they went down. And listen, here's why it's a little bit too emotional for me. I'll make it really simple. I had seven friends in the in the Twin Towers. Okay, and 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 I, I'm a New Yorker, and and I was, you know, I had. Two, two of my members, two of my students in the Twin Towers uh, that are not with us anymore, uh, among those seven, um, guys that I was pretty close to. Um, so to me, I still have an awful taste, man, and I'll have that taste for the rest of my life. I think about it a lot every time I'm back in New York and I'm back in the city and I'm, and I'm downtown. Um, it comes back. It comes back to me. It circles back. It's, it'll never not come back for me. And if it did, I'd be, a, I, I'd be an absolute, you know, I can't imagine being a human being and not, not having that in my heart all the time. So it's, you say Saudi and I, and I, and I, I get to, I get the shakes. Um, and for Jay to stand up and what he and said, all the things he said, of, of all the things he said for me as a New Yorker, when he made reference to nine 11 and, and the nine 11 families, and then went the other way, he, that's when, that's when he lost me. So, you know, the money's one thing. The, the players are one thing. Who took what? Who left? Who came back? How are they going to come back? You know, all that. That's all. That's all. Housewives of Atlanta bullshit for me. I mean, <laughs> that's, and that's all. That's, that's all good TV. But, but, you know, and somebody made a comment, and I, I'm not sure who it was, and I don't want to pin this on anybody because I don't have the straight. But somebody that's involved made a comment that, you know. You know, 9-11 was a long time ago and it's time to move on. They killed the journalist two years ago. Okay? 
they killed the guy. They cut him up and put him in a paper bag two years ago. So if you think 9-11 is, you know, we're going to brush it under the table because it was 20 plus years ago. And, and these are all really nice people now. They're okay. These are not the bad guys anymore. They killed a journalist and chopped them up two years ago. Okay. So, so ha- and nobody's brought that up. They've talked about 9-11 being a long time ago. They killed this guy two years ago. This is fresh. These, these are, these are the same people. Right. You know? Yep. So, so yeah, Jay referenced 9-11. Nobody has said to Jay, well, what about Khashoggi? What about two years ago? Nobody said that. You know what? And I, I fault, I fault the media for not bringing that up. That's still fresh. Yep. So the other thing that, and just a little bit of a turn here. I mean, Rory also acknowledged that the guys who didn't leave and take the money are going to have to be made whole. How that will happen is going to be a complex thing to do. There's conversations about the guys getting an equity stake in whatever this new company is. But really, that involves those guys taking money from the Saudis, which is what they said they'd never do, which is why they never left and pledged their loyalty to the PGA Tour. Monaghan now sort of puts those guys in a position to go back on their morals and have to reconcile somehow that, okay, I didn't go. I remained loyal. I'm I'm a patriot. I didn't want to take this Saudi money, but now I'm going to take an equity stake in a new company that's essentially funded by the Saudi money. The, The extra money being pumped into the PGA tour is going to be extra Saudi money. I, I, I feel like it also puts those guys in a moral dilemma. I mean, they really don't have anywhere else to go. They can't, there's not going to be any other tour now that the whatever live and the DP world tour and the PGA tour are now in a strategic alignment. So it kind of puts those guys in a compromising position in a, in a, in a feel bad sort of way too, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's, there's, there's no really, what I would call clean way out. There's no real clean solution to this. You know, every way you look at it, you can twist it and turn it any way you want. It, it's just not good on so many fronts. I mean, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good on the Jay Monahan front. It's not good on the player front. It's not good on the guys that left front. It's not good on the guys that stayed front. <laughs> where, where, where's the good side of this one? I mean, it's just, it's a, and then, and here's the other problem I have, and, and this is a, this is a problem with not just golf but American sport. This is a problem with our society today. We all have short memories, don't we? We really do. We have short memories, right? So, so most of these guys we're talking about on on tour that left or or, or stayed. One of my problems with them is that they were really too young to really remember nine eleven. They really didn't. They didn't really feel the emotion of nine eleven. It's something they read in a history book. You know, they didn't see the buildings go down live on TV that morning. They didn't watch guys jump out of those buildings from 100 stories up to their death. Uh, they didn't know anybody personally in those buildings. I'm sure if they did, a lot of this would be very, very different, you know, be really different. You know, Khashoggi, you know, being chopped up and, and killed by the Saudis, that's on a newsreel. That's like something they saw in their iPhone. It's not, it's not personal anymore with the way social media portrays things. It doesn't really affect them. Maybe I'm, maybe I sound too old for that, but I mean, it's, it's, 
it's still very fresh for me. And it, 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 it stinks, man. It really smells bad. The guy that I feel worst about during this whole thing is actually Rory McIlroy. He talks about how he feels like a sacrificial lamb for holding the company line and then Jay doing what he said he'd never do. And at least one player, I don't know if it was more than that. We know that Grayson Murray yelled out that we don't when we don't trust you, Jay. And Rory yelled back, just play better, Grayson. And then an F-bomb comes out from from Murray. So Jay let him be a sacrificial lamb. Expletives are thrown his way. A live executive talked about how Rory's a little beef about you know, playing on a team potentially. And, and this guy is getting shot from every particular, every angle possible in this thing. And now he's got to go out and play a Canadian open this week. He's got to go out and play a U.S. open trying to focus on the game of golf when he is, um, in the spotlight for a lot of bad reasons is, is a tough place that Monaghan put him in. I, I, I just, I can't get over the fact that how bad I feel for Rory when he tried to tow the company line. And now everyone's out to get him. Here's where we here's where we have our first disagreement of the night, Chris. Because because Rory was one of the people that helped make the rule about the new elevated events that you can only miss one a year, and he was the first one to miss two. Okay, and when he missed two, there was no statement. There was no. This is what happened. It, it was swept under the table. So, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about Rory. I mean. If you want to, if you want to tow the company line and be the spokesperson, well, then then you're going to take the heat that comes with that. And if you're going to if you're going to tow the company line and beat your chest, you can't be the first one to break the rule. So, I, I have mixed feelings about Rory. I you know I I, I try so hard. I really want to like Rory on so many fronts. And every time I like him, he does something that just pisses me off beyond belief. <laughs> so, I mean, I just you know I. I, I'm I'm so hot and cold. I, I don't know even what to think about Rory McIlroy right now. Tom, let's switch gears and let's talk about happier things. Like we say, oh, this well, is, I like happy things. <laughs> this is U.S. Open week. It's being played out at an L.A. Country Club. What are your thoughts on this week's major? Well, I I think again I told you off air because I played there um, once. Oh, it's it's got to be over ten years ago, and and I had never been there before. I didn't know much about it. Uh, other than it was the club in LA, um, and it's a really big boy golf course. I remember, I remember being really impressed with the golf course and how big it was, how big it felt, and and how good it was strategically. Um, really, really solid golf course, and I can't imagine it was tough when I played it under normal member conditions. Uh, now with you know the rough you're talking about, that if you saw any of the pictures this week and people dropping balls in the rough. Not not pretty, um, and you know it's been lengthened and and uh, there's been some bunkers added and moved. Some of the redesign stuff they've done there it looks it looks fantastic. I was watching um, an interview tonight on course um, with Jordan Spieth, and it looks just looks awesome. Um, so you know it's an untested venue. It's um, it's out of the classic rotation of courses we're used to seeing the. The Shinnecocks and the Wingfoots and the Baltusrols and the, and the uh, Oakmonts, so it's untested. I think it'll be uh, a worthy venue. It, it, in, in all indications, you know, just based on what I saw and what they've done to it, it's not going to be easy. Um, the West Coast needed another really solid venue. Um, I'm not a big fan of Torrey Pines as an open site, although it's it's held up. I just don't like when you play 
majors at regular tour event sites. It just doesn't feel right to me. So, it, you know, it, it's another great site for them out there on the, on the, on the west side of this country. Um, it should be interesting. It should be really good. I mean, there's, a, there's some local guys that are, are very fond of the venue. Uh, Morikawa spoke fondly of it. You know, Max Homer spoke fondly of it. Um, I'm sure there's some West Coast guys that would love to sink their teeth into that trophy at, at, on, a, on a West Coast California venue. Um, it should be it should be it should be really cool. There are a couple of things that I can't wait to see how they actually set it up, because there are five par threes out there. The seventh hole is going to play 290 yards as a par three, while the 15th hole may only play 85 yards. About, yards. Okay, 78 <laughs> yards. I mean, you want to talk about two extremes. I mean, guy's going to have to hit driver. To, get to a 290 yard par three potentially and then you know a half 60 degree wedge to get to a 78 yard par three that that's going to be a nice contrast yeah and, and just 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 a comment on that last open at shinnecock uh which i i i worked at they uh they lengthened the second hole to 295 they put a tee back there 295 and if you've never been to shinnecock the second hole is uphill to a green that's kind of a hogback that has runoff on all four sides. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, first of all, I can't reach it. And second of all, if I rolled it up there, I, it'd be hard to keep it on it. Um, but they never played that tee during the open, uh, which was interesting. They, they built it for the open and never played it. Um, I don't know if it was wind direction or just they got so many complaints about it or what. So we don't know that they're going to go back quite that far. That seems a little ludicrous to me. Although we've seen some crazy things in USGA setups, the 78 yard hole is going to be so cool to watch. It's a pitch green. You're going to be able to spin the ball off the left side of that green back down to the hole. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting. Um, certainly diverse and, and certainly uh, different than anything we've seen before. And just on a little side note, which make you happy, the Yankees just scored four runs in the sitting. It's now six, five Yankees. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know you're happy about that. And, and, and then banging up Scherzer. Here comes Buck out of the out of, Buck's a little pissed off coming out. Scherzer, you're gone, baby. You're gone. <laughs> <laughs> See you, <ya>, Mac. <laughs> Tom, before but, I let you go, remind our listeners about all the ways they can stay up to date with the great things you're doing, whether it's on your website, on your YouTube channel, or on social media. Yeah, because I got a great summer. First summer, as you know, I've been home in 44 years and uh, not on the road, although I'm going to. Sneak out of here in uh, in July for a couple of weeks, a, a little family trip to Portland, Maine. Then I'm doing a golf school at Cohasset, which is a wonderful club uh, outside of Boston. And then a golf school at Rolling Hills in Wilton, Connecticut. Um, uh, and then uh, around the golf of Westchester, around the golf of Wingfoot. Uh, three days coaching at an Epson Tour event with one of my girls in the Epson Tour. And then sneak back down to Florida. So it should be a fun trip. And uh, all that will be available and be seen on my uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, no more Twitter. No more Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm off on Twitter. Um, and then certainly the website is just TomPatry.com. But again, I'm not going to get off the air right with you right now before I publicly thank you for all you do for us, all the teachers you have on, all the players you have on, all the recognition. Uh, that you've given us and, and the platform that you've given us. Uh, you're the best, my man. I, I love being on with you. You're the best, my friend. I can't, can't thank you enough for all of that and all of your support over the years. 
You're fantastic. I'm already looking forward to two weeks from tonight. Stay safe, my friend. We'll we'll catch up again soon. Peace, brother. See you, Tom. That is the great Tom Patry. And folks, again, the website is TomPatry.com. P-A-T-R-I is the spelling of his last name. So TomPatry.com. Tom Patry Golf on Instagram. And again, that YouTube channel with all those free playing lessons and tips. You'd be a fool not to take those with you to the driving range. Tom's going to make your game better, whether you're in person, you're doing it through V1, or you're just going through all of his playing lessons. It's fantastic stuff. And I am so lucky to have him as part of the show every other week. We'll catch up with him two weeks from tonight. Okay, coming up next is one of my all-time favorite guests, Bill Bergen. Before I get to Bill, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf, at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year. And I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say. An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger, and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58. There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full-face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show, and that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arco's and are offering 14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arco's Caddy. When you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its green golf collection, sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick-dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold, eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to Construct.com, and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T.com, and use code CHRIS for 20% off the green collection today. Okay, now back. For an 11th time, and I'm very humbled to say that, is one of my all-time favorite guests and one of the top golf course designers in the history of our game, and that's Bill Bergen. You guys hear me bragging about what a great golf course the McLemore is every week here on the show, and what a wonderful experience my buddies and I have had there the last couple of years when we've gone up there for our annual golf trip. Well, Bill is just a wonderful friend and a guy that's meant a lot to me over the course of the history of this show. Let me remind you about his background. Played his college golf at Auburn University from 1978 to 1981, where he was named a first-team All-SEC player every year, and he helped Auburn win the 1981 SEC Championship. His 65 during the 1979 Pan American Tournament still ranks as one of the lowest 18-hole scores in Auburn golf history. He's played in over 250 professional tournaments worldwide, including three U.S. Opens, two Open Championships, and over 50 PGA Tour events. He started Bergen Golf Designs and has designed or renovated golf courses all around the world. Bill has been involved in well over 70 golf course design projects. In 2017, he was named one of the top 10 most innovative people in the game of golf. 
You've heard me talk about the recognition that the 18th hole at McLemore has received, being one of the top finishing holes now in all of golf. Well, you can see Bill's work in that hole and so much more by going online to his website, bergengolf.com, and I'm excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bill. How are you, my friend? I am very well, Chris. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, thank you. Yeah, what an exciting week. Right? Nothing, nothing exciting's happened yeah. this week, right? Isn't that a typical week? I'll tell you, I, I, lo- I love U.S. Open week. I really do. I like all the majors, of course, but U.S. Open week is special, and um, I, I'm really excited about seeing this new golf course and how the players are going to play. You know, there's nobody has a clue who has an advantage yet because we just don't know much about it. Well, to your point, right? I mean. Look, looking at L.A. Country Club, it's a, a George Thomas original design. He also designed Riviera Country Club, among many others. Gil Hans went in there and restored the course back to Thomas's original design in 2010. We haven't seen it. I'm guessing you haven't seen it. Is that right? I have not. I played it. You know, I, when I was on tour, I was actually an alternate at, at the Riviera um, for the L.A. Open, and I was I was first alternate. And I didn't get in. And it was, I sat on the tee all day long, waiting for somebody not to play. And nobody quit, nobody withdraws from Riviera unless, you know, something's really going on. Cause it, it's one of the premier golf courses, obviously George Thomas. And I had met a guy at the Bob Hope, uh, weeks before that. And he invited me to play LA Country Club. So I played the North Course in 1985. Unfortunately, time has gone by. I enjoyed it very much, but I don't remember it that well. And um, I can't wait to just watch on television. You know, um, it, um, Gil is obviously his work will be highlighted. Uh, and I think it's going to be a really fun golf course. I heard Tom talk about it a minute ago. And he mentioned or you mentioned that there were five par threes and three par fives. And, you know, that just produces um, erratic scoring or exciting scoring. And, and I heard one of the guys on PJ Tour Radio today while we were traveling talk about, and it may have been Mike Wan. Um, he was talking about the scorekeepers are going to get tired because they're going to be changing scores all day long because it's a volatile type golf course. You're going to see birdies. You're going to see bogeys. I think that makes for really exciting viewing. What are your thoughts as Tom and I were talking about the disparity in some of the yardages on these par threes, you know, one (laughs) being 290 yards and another that may only play 78 yards. And then we've got a, a bunch of par fours that actually could be drivable because they're well under 400 yards. I mean, to your point about scoring changes and risk versus reward and all of that sort of thing, how do you feel about extremes on those sides? So I like the variety. You know, it's funny. Alistair McKenzie, who is obviously one of the premier architects of all time, said that every golf course should have a par three that you hit a fairway wood and a par four that's a driver in a fairway wood. Well, in today's world, that can't happen. I mean, it's just, or it, well, it can, but it, it doesn't happen, especially on par fours, um, because they don't hit, they don't hardly hit woods into par fives these days. And so I think having that length, you know, if the guys, I, I've heard discussions that there'll be a bunch of five woods, there'll be some long irons. That's in keeping, you know, on the, even on that 290 yard hole, that's in keeping with the, uh, an appropriate challenge for that level of golfer in the U.S. Open. Conversely, a little bitty short par three, you know, is so exciting at 78 yards or whatever they decide to play it with a little tiny hole location. That's going to be exciting. You know, I played in three U.S. Opens, but I never made a cut. And my most disappointing, one of my really most disappointing 
uh, performances as a professional was at Pebble Beach in the 1982 U.S. Open when Tom Watson won. And I missed the cut there by one shot. I played in the final group on Friday, which was not a good position because it was, I finished at 1130 East Coast time. Being from Georgia, I was flat worn out by the end of that day because I had to wait around all day long and you're excited about the U.S. Open. But I missed a cut by one and I played the little bitty seventh hole, 100 yard par three and three over par. And you think about that, you're like, there's no way you can miss the cut by one and do that, you know, and play that little hole, you know, that hole, it's just a wedge shot. And so, you know, while there's a great opportunity with that little bitty hole in this year's U.S. Open, I'm sure there'll be risk as well. So making six on that little hole, I'm guessing the wind was up that day? Well, I, I had a bogey and a double bogey, but yes, on the second round, I doubled it. And um, hit, I plugged it in the bunker, and it was plugged under the lip. And, you know, just bad luck, really, um, that you had no stance, no swing. You couldn't get it out of the bunker on the first try. Um, <laughs> I haven't forgotten it, and it's funny because I don't remember a lot of things from 1982, uh, <laughs> but I still remember that. So when you think about this coming Sunday evening, who do you think is going to be at the top of the leaderboard? Oh, you know, I'm I'm such a big Jordan Spieth fan, um, and I think the reason this will play well for him is they talk about this course favoring creative guys, guys who can that have imagination that can do things a little bit differently, and he, he kind of leads the pack on that. You know, you just never know what you're going to get. They also say because fairway width averages probably 10 yards wider than a typical U.S. Open. Some of the fairways are up to 50, 60 yards wide. Um, and Jordan, you know, Jordan, you've watched him enough to know that he hits it all over the place sometimes. And and so I think that will give him some comfort. And I think the great variety, the par five, five par threes, I think it, I think it sets up very well. I hope he gets off to a good start. You know, the U.S. Open majors are a lot you can't win it the first day but you can lose it the first day and so um hopefully he gets off to a good start in his first round and um should be should be really exciting tv and i like that you know being an east coast guy that we're going to get to watch a lot of golf at the end of the day on um on thursday through sunday bill i want to switch gears a little bit and um i love seeing the updates with how things are progressing at the outpost the second course that you and Reese Jones are putting together up there at McLemore. Give us an update. How how are things progressing in your mind? Yes. So this is one incredibly exciting site. I think it's a one of a kind place. I just think there's nothing like it anywhere else. And as much as I can describe it to you, it's indescribable. My words do not do it justice. It is. Uh, it's an awe inspiring place. Um, you know. You know. It's a it's a cliff edge mountain golf course that's completely walkable it sits on the land absolutely beautifully um it's got some really cool characteristics the first thing is we have five holes on the edge of the ridge which you know the 18th hole at the original macklemore course is well known and and certainly uh well photographed and but that hole we built on the side of a mountain on an angle we built it on a you know probably a 25 percent grade which means we really had to cut one side fill the other create playable space it was very difficult to build that hole the new course lays on the ground right next to the edge we don't have to do anything special and so that is really exciting and then 
there are places where you can see there's you stand on the 16th green you see all 18 holes now imagine anybody listening your home course and standing on a spot and seeing every single hole in the golf course and that that's incredible and then the court the holes are completely memorable each hole is totally unique in its, its own version even though you can see everywhere each hole is very unique, very memorable, and it, we are so excited about it. We've got, I guess, 10 to 12 greens. I think 12 greens are shaped. 10 of them have greens mix in them. Irrigation is going in now. We are we are literally pushing hard to start grassing late summer, and we're looking for a next summer opening. So, Bill, with 18 at McLemore being named one of the top finishing holes in all of golf, do you feel any added pressure to make sure that the outpost lives up to what you did at the original Macklemore course, because now it seems like you're saying you've got a canvas that can take that a step further. Yes. In fact, I feel um, in a good way. I feel a ton of pressure because I think this is absolutely one of the world's spectacular sites. And so we have been given this gift to, to, um, to shape and mold and create this incredibly, uh, incredibly beautiful site to play golf and so um you know it's all there for us now it's up to us to really make it special and it's it it, that's not going to be as challenging as as you you would think it's so good that you know every time we turn around the land just says here's a golf hole you're going to love it how new is that parcel of land to you did you see that land when you were putting in the original mclemore golf course or is that something that that someone introduced you to, you know, months, years later? No. So it came after. And what's really interesting, and I've said this often, if we hadn't done the 18th hole, the new course at, at, at the original course, and that 18th hole was a brand new golf hole. So we renovated 17 holes and we built one brand new hole and it's in a different location. Um, if we hadn't built that 18th hole, none of us would be working there today. That 18th hole that we built on the original course has you know, gained so much notoriety. It has generated people's interest in Macklemore. They come, they love it. They keep coming back. It is the reason we have a hotel under construction. And it is the reason our owner found this piece of property. It's only a mile and a half down the road. In fact, from the hotel, you can see the new course. From the new course, you can see the hotel. So it's, you know, it's just a shuttle away uh, down down the road on the same elevation as the as the old course. But the difference is that this land is just so gentle for golf. And it was 100% free. So we cleared 200 acres to create this golf course. And it has five holes on the edge, but it also, it has these beautiful holes that climb. And I, I say that because they're fun. So the uphill holes are kind of this fun hole you're really going to enjoy playing. And you get to the top of this spot and you turn around in the entire valley is looking, you know, looking back at you from below. So each time you climb up into a spot on the golf course, and we've got four spots that are high points. Each time you get up there, you have these incredible views and you play right back down. But again, it's, it's, it's all gentle. It all just works beautifully. In fact, most of the courses in Atlanta have more topography and are harder to walk than, um, than the outpost will be. I know McLemore presented some challenges to you guys with the amount of rock that you had to move or dynamite. Are you running into those same similar challenges now at the outpost? I would say tenfold. Um, the whole site is rock. 
And so we do have dirt. We have nice dirt, but we have an amazing amount of rock. And our, our project manager with Southeastern Golf is Clyde Hall. Clyde is really experienced. He's been around and done a ton of work. And he told me one day, he goes, Bill, there's just no easy hole to build on this golf course. And he's exactly right. It's, it's, and, and when you think about it, the land lays perfectly, but you've got to get irrigation in the ground. You have to get drainage in the ground. So there's a lot of things that, that are subsurface. And that's the hard part. We're, we have a hammer running every day, which is, you know, on the end of a track hoe, you hear this tap, 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 tap. That's music at, at the outpost because it just never goes away. And, and we're blasting also. So we're, we're using dynamite. We're hammering. But in the end, no one will know it because it lays on the ground so nicely. You'll just look at it and go, wow, this was a perfect site for golf. It is. It's just not easy to build it. You mentioned the hotel and Macklemore is a bit of a hidden gem right now. Rising Fawn, Georgia is a pretty small town. You're up there on the mountain, not a lot there, but Hilton Hotel getting close to completion. The houses and the neighborhoods in the area. There's also the ability for stay in place for some homes up there. There's an on-site restaurant, a short course, the Himalayas putting course that you guys built, conference room space for business meetings and retreats, families and couples coming up to the resort for more than just golf. Pretty soon, that area is going to be pretty darn busy. We're very excited. And it's a fun place to be, no matter whether you're a golfer or not. And it's so beautiful. There's hiking trails. And just it just has this vibe or atmosphere that makes you want to hang out and not go home. Um, it, it, you truly feel like you're on vacation and, and it's not far from a lot of major cities. So it's really easy to get to Macklemore, whether it's driving or, or, um, certainly by flying. And it just is a special place. It has an atmosphere. You know, we do the singer songwriter night, I think once a month, um, for five or six months. And that's a really popular, uh, venue for people. And then the hotel will open next spring. And I think that'll change everything. I've had a tour of the hotel. I was really impressed. Um, and, you know, everything that happens up there that Dwayne's been involved in, Dwayne Horton, our owner, it just keeps making it just keeps making the entire package better. It's not just about, you know, the 18th hole. It's not just about the hotel. It's not just about the original Macklemore. It's not just about the outpost. It's sort of a sum of all of these things make it such a special place. Bill, you have a pretty cool ride these days. Talk about the Mercedes Airstream van you're pulling up in now. Yes, so we have a Sprinter van, and we were started traveling about five years ago where we were traveling five days a week, and that's pretty rough. Um, and we, my son and I, who worked for me at the, at the time and still does, looked at each other and said, we can't keep doing this. I mean, we, we literally left home on a Monday and then come back for Friday, living out of a car. And he came up with an idea. He said, we, we, need, a, you know, we need a van. We need a mobile office. Well, we didn't really think that totally through at first. And as we started shopping for it, we realized, heck, let's get a small RV. And so we got a Mercedes Sprinter. And we've had it actually four years and 160,000 miles. And it is a home on the road. I'm sitting at the back of it right now. Got my computer in front of me. Uh, I have, you know, all our supplies that we need for projects, a grade rod. We have abundance of paint. We have flags. We have all the construction things, our boots. Uh, we have a shower. We have a bed if we need it, although we used to spend the night in it often in the first couple of years. And now we probably do hotels most of the time. But it is truly um, allows us to work while we're on the road. Today we were in Savannah. I was out on the job site. Matt was working on another project on the computer in the van. 
And so he worked all day like he was in a regular office, but he was in, in, in the van. I worked all day on site. We drive to Valdosta tonight, and I work while we're driving, and he, he's driving. So it's, it, both of us get great use out of it. And um, it's on the road all the time. We're literally uh, – right now I'm traveling six days a week. We have eight jobs under so we're on the road all the time, and this makes being on the road quite nice. Bill, before I let you go, I got to get your thoughts on the bombshell that shook the entire golf world a week ago today. How do you feel about the PGA Tour partnering with the the Saudi Public Investment Fund and everything that uh, at least the framework for what they're telling us could happen later this year? Well, it caught me totally by surprise, and I am a PGA Tour loyalist. So I'll put it out there, uh, even though my success, I didn't have much success on the PGA Tour. I still felt like it was, it was, you know, as, as Rory told, told Grace, Grace and Murray, just play better. You know, golf is, is the ultimate capitalist game. You, if you play well, there's no stopping you. If you don't play well, you don't do so well. And, and so Live Tour, I was not a fan. And I'll tell you why. First, as an architect, I really disliked the shotgun starts. A golf course has a rhythm and a flow. And it's even, even you know, most major championships, they used to only tee off the first hole because the golf course was set up to play that way. Now they do tee off one in 10, you know, because of just timing and getting people around and they play forever slow. So I think they have to. But the golf course is designed with certain holes in, in a certain order. And so I couldn't stand that about live. I also feel like 54 holes is not quite a championship test. And then you get into the fact that there is a certain pride that comes with making a cut. And you watch a champion golfer on a Friday when they're struggling. And guess what? They work their tail off to make the cut. It matters. It means something. And it makes Friday afternoons actually meaningful. Look at Scotty Scheffler. He almost won the Memorial um, a couple weeks ago, and he made the cut on the nose. So all of those things have nothing to do with the owners of Live, and I'm not going to judge that. I, you know, I think American businesses probably do business with Saudi Arabia in all sorts of ways. So I think that 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 wasn't my concern. Um, but the I just felt like it was set out to to hurt the PGA Tour. That I didn't like at all. And so that you know, I'm not a fan of Live Golf. Um, I, I hope they come to a reconciliation of sorts. Sounds like they are, but I think there's a lot of loopholes, legal things to go through still, because I do enjoy watching Cam Smith play golf. And I do enjoy watching Brooks Kepka play golf and Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, there, and there's some young guys, especially the live tour seem to attract a number of the foreign players, you know, Abraham Anser, excellent player, Joaquin Neenham, all kinds of good players from South Africa and Australia and South America who we want to watch, you know, play against all the best players. So, you know, what's going to happen is the tour becomes more of a world tour. There's been talk about it forever. Uh, a little less, you know, U.S. centric and a little more world tour. Um, and, and, you know, that's in the end, that's probably a good thing. And so I'm sure there'll be great places for young guys to play and work their way up. Um, you know, they've done a good job with that with Canada and Latin America and Asia. and so. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Bill, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can we stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's on your website or it's on social media? 
Yeah, so I wish my website was kept up to date more often, and as does my wife who runs our business. But we are very active on social media. And so we post project pictures almost daily. Um, and, and so Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and, and if you like golf and you want to watch the process, it's, it's pretty interesting going, you know, right now we're grassing a ton of courses. So you look back and, and, you know, when they're in the dirt, they don't look like much. And as you start to prep and as you start to lay sod and put sand in bunkers, all of a sudden a golf course comes to life. And even the mowing process really makes a golf course shine. So it's, it's a fun time right now. Um, we're grassing out, you know, you know, six or seven golf courses right now and, you know, for the next two months. So it's a, it's a good time to, to see the process and, and we enjoy sharing it. It's just a, you know, it's, it's just a fun thing. And, and, um, uh, again, those social medias, Bergen golf, all you have to do is Google Bergen golf and you'll find us. Well, you're doing fantastic work. I'm loving all the pictures that you're putting out there of the outposts and the other projects that you're working on. It is very interesting stuff to see it a golf course come to life right before our very eyes. And I can't wait to get up to see what the outlook is looking like. And hopefully I get that opportunity before too long, but you're fantastic. My friend, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show for an 11th time. And I'm already looking forward to number 12. Thank you, Chris. And I appreciate your support. As Tom said, he said it very well. And I would love to give you a personal tour and get you nice and dirty. I'm on the outpost, so um, so you let me know. I'm I'm there often on Fridays, so if you get a Friday and say, "Hey, I'm coming up," I'll give you I'll give you a great tour. Awesome! I, I'm going to take you up on that. I'm going to do it soon. Thank you so much for that invitation. I look forward to catching up with you, Bill. You're fantastic. Stay safe. All the best you and your family. We'll do it again soon. Thank you, and to you, Chris. See you later. See you, Bill. That is the great Bill Bergen, folks, and the outstanding job he does, whether it's on an original project or a restoration, is really something to behold. I can't thank him enough for being a part of the show, being a part of the show 11 times, and then, like I say, getting an invitation like that to go up there and check out the outpost and and to do it with him as a guided tour. Oh, that's fantastic. I can't wait to Look forward to uh, the opportunity to take him up on that invitation. Okay, up next is one of the great instructors in our game, particularly in the area of adaptive golf, Joe Groman. Before I get to Joe, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number two. U-N-D-R dot com. Two under. Performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too, so spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit scony.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. 
That's Skoni.com, S-K-O-N-I.com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Now back in next on the tee with me is PGA professional Joe Groman. Joe played his college golf at Cypress College where he was the team MVP. He transferred to Cal State Fullerton and played there briefly before turning pro. He's been the head golf pro at great golf courses like Whittier Narrows, Chester, Washington, the Navy course at Seal Beach where he met Earl and a 13-year-old named Tiger Woods. He's also been out at El Dorado Park Golf Course in Long Beach, California, now an instructor at the first tee and doing great things with his adaptive golf program, which we're going to get into in a minute. He was named the 2013 Southern California PGA Professional of the Year. In 2016, he was inducted into the Long Beach Golf Hall of Fame. He is an eight-time recipient of the PGA of America Patriot Award, and I'm very excited. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Joe, thanks for coming back on the show. How you doing? Thanks for having me back on the show. I really appreciate it. So, Joe, it was great getting to meet you in person earlier this year at the PGA Merchandise Show. You were there to talk about adaptive golf and assisting a company that makes some great equipment to help those that need it uh, be able to play the game of golf. So talk about the great things that uh, that you did there and uh, partnering with the company that's doing all of that. Yeah, yeah, it was great to meet you finally in person, too. That's a, that's a paragolfer machine that allows people who are paralyzed or have lower extremity injuries to stand up and play golf. It's really a revolutionary machine. It's, you know, that's why I jumped on board with these guys. I mean, some of the greatest moments we have at our clinic is when somebody stands up in that machine for the first time in, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. You know, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable moment. I always try to capture it on video, you know, and let the world see the joyous moment and and you know i don't know if you saw the one with the girl from australia but man it was a tearjerker her mom was there it was unbelievable but it's an it's an incredible machine and uh you know i thought i'd go down there i know all the guys in the adaptive golf world too so everyone around in the adaptive golf area the golf show you know we all know each other so it was just an awesome experience and Joe, going all the way back to the beginning, you're born and raised on Air Force bases, and you've been the head golf professional at military golf courses. Talk about your commitment and devotion to our military personnel and our veterans. Yeah, you know, I did. I was born in I was born in McGill. I'm in Florida right now. I was born over at McGill in Tampa, and grew up 17 years as a military brat. My dad flew F fours and F two one eleven. You know, lived on base, and then at 24. I got a job at the Navy golf course. I grew up playing that those golf courses, base golf courses. You know, I knew how to speak fluent military. You know, I'm on a first-name basis with all the admirals and generals, sir. But, I mean, being raised in that environment, you want to, you know, you know the people. They say that, you know, the, the officer or the soldier, the sailor or the Marine, it's the family that serves. It's not just them, you know, so everyone's involved in that whole thing. So, you know, the military is very near and dear to me. And uh, again, I got the job at the Navy golf course. I was there 22 or 29 years working, on, you know, on a military golf course. I recently retired DOD Navy from there. 
2018. So, you know, 39 of my years uh, in or on or around the military. So, you know, it means a lot to me to help these guys. Not only that, but the whole adaptive golf thing started when, you know, way back when we did that fixing the stroke class in 94 at Hartwell. I think we discussed that before. When I saw what that meant to the students, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go do this. I was still working full time in Navy. But at a military golf course, I could do whatever I wanted, you know. So I knew these sailors and Marines would come up from Pendleton. The sailors would get off the ship, you know, and it was kind of they get off the ship. But back then we had these sign in sheets. So the sailors would have to come and sign in their name and their rank. And you literally got to point out where to, where to where they needed to sign. You know, a lot of them were just so young and so like, you know, shell shocked about being in the military that, you know, and being on a ship for six months at a time and, you know, desert storm and all that, that I knew these, that these clinics would be awesome for them. And being at the military golf course, I didn't have a board of directors or any of that. I could just do it. So I started doing it for the military too, which was a no brainer because we started seeing a lot of these guys going to desert storm and coming back just, you know, train wrecks, you know, so I really upped it up. I started going down to Pendleton once a month. We were doing that for 16 years. In fact, I was back in California to meet my granddaughter, and we're still doing them, so I was able to see a lot of my old Marine friends. It was awesome. Um, but, yeah, so we use adaptive golf as therapy. We do all the spectrums, not just the military, you know, all adaptive golf. And, you know, the, the running joke is, Chris, that we use golf as therapy, which is ironic because once you've learned golf, you got to go to therapy. <laughs> so anyway, and the PTSD, you know, with PTSD, I was able to, uh, down at Pendleton, when the guys were coming back from Pendleton, it was crazy because you could see, you know, that's where we got, I got a, you know, I told you the story about the Marine, you know, who, who told me the next class, the class before was the first one. And he said, and he, fell in love with golf and he's been to the golf course every day since but that first class that day he was going to eat a bullet in his words and he goes oh go to this golf class he went to the golf class fell in love with golf the next month he's telling me hey man he told me that story i was gonna eat a bullet that day dude your class saved my life you know and everyone that's doing that is getting these kind of stories that's how impactful adaptive golf classes are on that note it doesn't just impact the student, it also impacts the volunteers, the people that are there. I don't know who gets more out of it, the people that are there as volunteers instructing or just cheering or the students themselves, because it just, it turns into such a good experience. So I wanted to kind of push that on your listeners out there. You know, if they, if they're, if they're not feeling good, you know, coming off of COVID or all that, and they, they feel like something's missing, man, giving back is the way to go. And since your listeners are probably all golfers, an excellent way to do that is just be a volunteer at an adaptive golf program. And, you know, how you'd want to find out about doing that would be to just go call the PGA. I mean, they're all invested in hope, and that's a whole different animal. you got to be instructed. But they'll know who's doing what in the town. Also, if there's a first tee program, you know, you could, they could get involved with that. And they do the training and all that. That's an easy way to get in there. You know, or they could call the USAGA, which is kind of the umbrella uh, organization, United States Adaptive Golf Association. We all belong to that. And, you know, and they have feelers out all over the United States 
and uh, get involved. You know, it's it really, really, these events always turn out to be so joyous and fun. You know, I want to share that with your listeners. I always invite the community to all my stuff because, because of that, it's so fun that I'm not going to keep this all myself. I'm going to bring everybody in. So that's a really good way. You know, I think that, and now that uh, the USGA did that tournament two years ago, they come up on the second one. It's really just exploding. People are seeing the power of it. You're hearing the stories every day about what it's good, saving lives, you know, and, you know, and it's, it's, it's the thing you want to get involved with, you know, not only that, but uh, you show me someone who's not feeling, who's feeling a little low, maybe a little depressed, you know, I'll show you someone who's going to, if you go give back, man, you're going to feel a lot better. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I wanted to pick that. For sure. For start. Last October, you wrote an article, Tips from Your 28 Years of Adaptive Golf Experience. And one of the things you talk about in that article, for other teachers to know and appreciate that the only time many of your students leave the hospital or their houses every week is to come to your class. And that's huge. Talk about the responsibility that goes along with that for an instructor to know that the only time some folks get out of the house or out of the hospital is to be there and to be a part of that class. Yeah, that's a huge thing to understand. I remember when the light bulb went off, you know, like we talked about Hartwell. You know, I was working full time at Navy, but I couldn't really, I'm, I'm teaching at Hartwell because, you know, it's a long story, but I'm working at both places. But I got to, I started this victim stroke class at Hartwell in 94 with the Long Beach VA. And the, and the lady that was in the worst shape, her hands were stuck in an immobile position. She couldn't walk. She's in a wheelchair. She couldn't speak. And what I would do is I would put the club in her hand, and she had a gate belt on, which is a belt with handles in the back. And I'd go behind her and lift her up out of the wheelchair just enough that she could make one pass at the ball, you know, a little foot-long little swing, because she only got one pass. Because after she made that pass, the club went flying out of her hands because her hands were stuck, you know? So we had one shot to do it. And I remember when she'd finally knock it off the tee, you know, we repeat it till she finally did it. You know, I, I made her feel like that, that she just won the Masters. You know, the whole class erupted. It was just awesome when that moment happened every time. And, you know, after a few weeks, and, you know, they were there, you know, that class was for three years. And after a while, I asked her caregiver. And it was a lot of trouble. Back then, they really didn't have nice little elevator things and all that stuff for band. And it was kind of a lot of trouble for this for the lady. And uh um I asked her caregiver, I said, hey, why did she go through all this trouble to come to this class? She's like, oh no, Joe. Oh no, this is what's keeping her going. It's the only time she gets out of the house. It's the only time all these people get out of the house. There's 21 victims of stroke, 21 caregivers and a bunch of staff. They were they were all in pretty good shape, pretty bad shape. The only time she gets out of the house. And that's when I'm like, oh my gosh. I, I mean, I was pretty young back then. I get it now. You know, it's for the camaraderie, for the unity, for the, the experience of being with others, you know? And it was the only time she was able to come out and do that. So that, like you're saying, like you can understand, I want to impart that on these guys is that, you know, these people, a lot of them, the only time they come out is to come to your class. So you really got to treat them and the event and everything with that kind of a respect. 
this is this guy's only time out of the house. He's here to see me and have a great time. Obviously, we're not going to make tour players out of him. But I'll tell you what, we're going to set the bar of success where they can reach it. And then when they reach it, I'm going to make them feel like they want a green jacket, you know, and, and it's just a glorious day, you know, all, all the way around when we're able to do that for someone. So, so going in, you know, you can do that. That's why a lot of the times, another thing is if your listeners don't golf at all, a lot of the people we would have come to the events were just basically cheerleaders. You don't have to even be able to golf to cheer someone on and throw the three C's at them, care, concern, and compassion, and the four C cheer, you know, make them feel great about all the stuff they do. That, that doesn't take golf experience. And, you know, it's, it's just a no-brainer in my book, Chris. So let's take that a step mm-hmm. further, because you also state in that article that occasionally some students just want to be there to be with the group. They don't want to necessarily hit balls or participate. They're there for a, a near golf experience. You still want to include them and make them feel part of the group as, as much as possible. Talk about those folks that just want to be there to bask in the camaraderie of it all. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that we get that a lot, especially with the long beach BA, you know, we get a lot of the guys come and just want to hang out and be with the fellas and be with the, the group. I mean, Tom, he was a survivor of Iwo Jima, and which was brutal and bloody. And if you're young and haven't read up on it, I recommend it. But he he survived Iwo Jima, and we, so he was a superstar with the Marines that we had. We had the five, fifth battalion, fourteenth Marines, the five fourteen were there that day to help. They helped a lot. They were at, they were stationed out at, at the Seal Beach Weapon Station, and he just wanted to be there. So what I did is I put three of the Marines with me. And they spent the whole day listening to Tom telling stories. It was, and I, everyone was coming around and listening. And it was just, it was, and by the way, he, he, not only was he missing a leg, he had stage four cancer. It was just such an amazing day for, for Tom that day. And like, he was gone a couple months later, but you know, it was just the most amazing day. We always have lunch afterwards. Um, But all the time they'll get people that just want to be there. So you want to, include them if if you do see people they don't really want to hit they just want to be there you want to have a contingency plan for that always you know you want to give them just just as much care concern and compassion as if they're smacking ball they're part of it too you want to treat them as part of it and you know make it a great day for them too joe you have so many great success stories from what the what you've heard and feedback from the people that you've witnessed it is been life changing for them. What are some of those heartwarming stories that you can share with our audience tonight about things that you've witnessed that have just made you smile from ear to ear and really feel the fulfillment for what you're doing and what you're able to help people do with their lives? Uh, the first one was we had a the first time we we stood someone up was a long time ago, and it was a nurse who had been paralyzed for 30 years, and prior to that, she had been a big-time golfer. Peggy was her name, and and I remember, you know, it was the first, I didn't think anything of it, but when she got up, she just burst into tears. It was such a, a joyous moment for her. That's when I realized the importance of that particular moment. We have all kinds of those moments. Um you know, the guys down at Pendleton, when I see what golf's done for them, I did a scholarship down there because they had the, the Pacific 
College, Golf College, right next to it, right next to Pendleton for a while. So I get these guys who didn't know what they were going to do once they got out there. They've been shot at. They're all PTSD out. We get them to fall in love with golf. They want to be golf pros. And so they were, I was sending them right to the, the golf college right there. And I had a scholarship. I said, if you guys get through the first semester and uh, with pass, passing grades, I give you a $500 scholarship. You know, I figured it's a no. And like all seven of the guys that did it got it. So that was kind of nice, you know, doing wow. that for them. And they moved on to golf careers. And I'm just glad I was able to facilitate that because none of them went in even having golf. So that was kind of cool. Um, you know, I got, there's so many great stories that the amputee coalition thing we do, we're doing one in Orlando. I mean, the, when we, we have this little thing now where we're going to like convention, I'm going to the amputee coalition convention. We're setting up a net simulator. We got a little putting area and then we have snag golf, of course. And again, it's just having a blast doing all this stuff, right? So it's just a party over there. And all these people that haven't even ever golfed before, you know, serious amputations. Um, I got to tell you, there was a, at my first one, there was a lot of people got to be careful when they're backing out. I'm just going to go, go a little sideways on there. A lot of the guys there were double amputees that were victims of crush, of a, of a crush when a car bumper crushed into them, into their car. So just be careful when you're in those parking lots, people. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, for them to experience that was just next level. It was so cool, you know. Uh, no matter what their situation, you know, a lot of people with no legs, you know, just one arm or, you know, and we're able to golf and have a blast. And it's just beautiful that we're able to use golf to cover and cross all spectrums of abilities and all spectrums of situations. You know, right now, uh, I'm down in Florida. I just, uh, I'm the lead instructor at L Center for Autism right now. So that's another thing I'm doing down here. And to be able to use golf to try to help the autistic kids is, uh, an incredible thing. I'm telling you, this, this game, this experience just crosses all the borders. You know, it really does. So I'm happy to do it. You know, I'm just a guy who likes to have a good time, you know, with these clinics and, Put people's smiles on faces. That's all I do. Oh, Joe, just, a bad joke. <laughs> just a couple more before I let you go. And and to take it at one step further, when when you put on your clinics and you show people what's possible and that they can participate in the game, for those that uh, want to continue to learn, they want to continue to get out there and play, post a, a clinic or that sort of thing, how do they get the equipment and continue to take lessons so they they can continue to go out there and and play a game that now they're they're relearning or or learning for the first time, falling in love with, and have the camaraderie with their friends out on the golf course. In the adaptive golf world, you want to just go to USAGA USAGA dot org, and they're the clearinghouse. They have the con. You know, no matter what state you're in, they're going to have the information on who's doing what in that state. They're the umbrella. I'm with them. Um, everyone that's in, everyone who's been in the game a long time is with the USAGA. Now, they're our friends, too. Our friends are running that. It's sort of the umbrella. So USAGA.org. Another thing you could do is go to your TGA section and uh, and see who's if anyone's doing adaptive. You want to say adaptive golf programming. 
because the PGA is all about PGA Hope. You have to be a PGA pro. You got to be PGA Hope certified. So they're very, they, they, you can't, there's no real volunteer opportunities in that. However, the section will know people who are doing other stuff. Also, first tees nationwide. Um, I know South Florida, the one I'm working with here, I do three vet clinics a week at Dyer Park. These guys are absolute rock stars. This is the best probably first tee in the United States. I was a pro at the one in South Los Angeles or uh, merged with LA County as a Los Angeles one. But this one's very good. First tee is another clearinghouse you can go check out to get some volunteer opportunities. Um, as far as your listeners are concerned, the adaptive golfers, if you're an adaptive golfer, I know someone wants to get into it. Yeah. Just go to USAGA.org. Jonathan Snyder will get in touch with you and, and he's a buddy of mine and, and we can, we'll find something for you for sure. And then, uh, what was the other one? There's one more out there. Well, anyway, you can Google it too, right? Right. Siri has all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> One more, Joe, and I, oh, like yeah. I mentioned in your intro, you've known Tiger Woods since he was a teenager. He lives in South Florida now. You've been by Tiger's 13. house yet? <laughs> well, someone keeps ringing his doorbell, but when he gets there, they're gone. <laughs> but no, I tell you, I've been by his house. I know where his house is. It's very, he's only four miles away from me, but literally only one street light. So we're in a, I'm in a nice little area. Um, right now, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm working with, um, uh, Fort Pierce, you know, some of the boys, we got a lot of stuff going on. Here's the deal with Tiger, right? You know, you saw the HBO documentary, right? That was nine hours, nine hours of awesome Tiger stories for five minutes of, you know what? So it was all honest, but whatever. Um, So in the meantime, right now, he's very close. Like I was at a golf course that him and his kid were at. Uh, Him and Charlie were at uh, the day before the tournament. By the way, Charlie won. I don't know if it got national news, but he won this, this recent golf tournament by six shots here in South Florida. And I got to tell you, these South Florida kids, these Texas kids, these Southern Cal kids are phenomenal. So to win by six shots is very interesting, you know. He's 13. That's the age I met Tiger. I know Tiger had five junior worlds at 13, but still, you know, I don't even know if Charlie's played in one yet. But to win by six shots in, in, in the crowd he's in, is it's is phenomenal. So it's going to be interesting to see what Charlie could do. Um, but yeah, I haven't contacted Tiger. Here's with Tiger, my thing is if I can, you know, this adaptive golf is growing. We still have all our California stuff. We still go around. We still did the uh, Pearl Harbor thing. We still did the Masters thing. So as this grows, you know, we're, you know, the San Antonio Holmes thing. So as this grows, if, if, if it's worth Tiger's while to like, give me an attaboy or I know that guy or join us, you know, then I'll, I'll approach the team. But till we get there, I'm going to, I'm going to save that. I figure he owes me a solid. I'm saving it for when, you know, it'll be a win-win. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> Joe, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing and follow you, whether it, it's online or it's on social media? Well, you know, I'm on, JoeGromanGolfFoundation.org is my foundation website. JoeGromanGolfFoundation.org. HowToGolf.com is my book. Ford Viral Woods. Nice picture of me and Tiger and the U.S. Amateur Trophy on the cover. Um, Facebook. Joe Groman Golf Foundation on Facebook. Joe Groman on Facebook. And Joe the Pro on Facebook. And those, the Instagram thing 
goes off of Facebook. I'm old. I played a senior case. I only, I only really use Facebook, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you're awesome. You know I can't thank yeah. you enough. All right, Chris. Always, always a pleasure to talk to you, friend. Great catching up with you. I look forward to catching up with you again, hopefully a little bit later on this year and again at the PGA Merchandise Show in January. You're awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, like I say, hopefully get the privilege of catching up with you again soon. All right. Thanks, Chris. Look forward to it, too. See you, Joe. That is Joe Groman and a guy that is just out there doing so many great things for our military personnel, veterans, and really anybody through the adaptive programs. The things that he is doing and the and the joy that he is bringing to the those lives and the people that have suffered, whether it's a catastrophic injury or PTSD, cannot be measured. But you want to talk about a guy who loves what he's doing, excited to do it every day, and looking, like he said, br- to bring us all along through that? That's outstanding. He's a wonderful individual and just as humble as he can be and a joy to be around. And like I say, hopefully... We get the the privilege of having him back on the show again a little bit later this year, and I get the privilege of catching up with him uh, next year at the PGA Merchandise Show as well. Joining me next is going to be the president of the Golf Heritage Society, Dr. Bern Bernanke. Before I get to Bern, I want to remind you about our friends over at Adele Golf. Power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability. Featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology, precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to adelgolf.com. And folks, do you sway and you're off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried Squares? Try the new Speed Bolt at Squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strands designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com. All right, now back in making his third visit with me here on Next on the T is Dr. Bern Bernacki. Dr. Bernacki is from my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He went to Central Catholic High School, which has one of the best high school football programs anywhere in the country. It's where Dan Marino went to high school. One of our favorites over on our football show Thursday night, Tailgate Steelers play-by-play announcer Bill Hillgrove also went there, as did former NFL quarterback Mark Bolger, to name just a few of the great players that have come out of Central Catholic. Dr. Bernanke earned his college degree in biology from the University of Pittsburgh. He is a primary care physician at the Bernanke Family Practice and Wellness Center. He is also a member of the board of the Pittsburgh Regional Healthcare Initiative. He's on the board of the First Tee in Pittsburgh and president of the Golf Heritage Society. And it's an honor to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bern, thanks for coming back on the show. 
Chris, so thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Vern, it was wonderful getting to sit down and talk with you earlier this year at the PGA Merchandise Show. You're doing so many wonderful things through the Golf Heritage Society. Update us on uh, what's going on. Well, the Golf Heritage Society is really on a roll, Chris. We're on a rise. Um, we're inviting uh, every and all golf enthusiasts to join us, golfheritage.org. Uh, as you know, Chris, our mission really is to do two things, promote appreciation for the history and the traditions uh, in the game of golf, and also to foster friendships among those golf enthusiasts. And we have worldwide members and we have golfers, we have writers, historians, and we were really uh, originated from collecting in the game of golf and its artifacts and its memorabilia. So we we do that and we gather, we get together now that COVID's over. Uh, boy, we, we had lunch at Oakmont a couple of weeks ago and we had a, a luncheon and a tour of the um, the the historical collection of Marion Golf Club. So the Golf Heritage Society um, is really breaking out from COVID and gathering for golf events and gathering for visiting historic venues. So this is who we are and this is what we're doing currently, Chris. Vern, you've got a, a national convention coming up a little bit later on this year in October. This year it's going to be in Lexington, Kentucky. Talk about what we can look forward to seeing there. Well, it's going to be another great program, Chris. Um, uh, we always have a uh, two golf event uh, opportunity. Uh, we call it the Hickory Warm Up. Uh, now we have classic players as well, and uh, modern players are also welcome. We're going to feature Gabe Brewer. Uh, uh, he's a, a native of Lexington. Uh, he won a Masters in uh, '57, and uh, if I got that right, and uh, we're going to visit his hometown. We're going to play his Muni where he kind of grew up playing golf for our warm-up. And we have another uh, competitive event. Um, uh, and then we're going to uh, visit Lexington Country Club for a social evening and explore their history. There's some fascinating things that have happened there. Uh, one of them, uh, a, a sad, um, um, uh, tragic uh, loss of life, a murder of Marion Miley. There was a book written about it, and we're going to visit where that happened at Lexington Country Club and uh, have an evening of, of uh, discussing um, uh, Kentucky golf and its history. So uh, that's part of our program, but our educational program is loaded. Um, last year, we talked about ensuring your golf collection and how to do that right. And this year, we have a theme of preservation um, of our historic uh, items. Um, how to protect your uh, clubs, your balls, your cards, uh, your uh, paper memorabilia. And we're talking about the golf clubs themselves. Um, wherever you belong to a club, it has a history. And what's the importance and value of talking about that history and highlighting that history and collecting memorabilia about your golf club? Well, it's a no-brainer for your Marians and your Oak bonds, but boy, there's a lot of clubs like our place in Pittsburgh, Chris Edgewood. It's the third golf course in uh, Western Pennsylvania, and uh, boy, we recently uncovered a lot of our uh, history, and we're highlighting it. So we're going to uh, coach our members about how they can be active at their home club 
to help them uh, explore their pedigree. And finally, the educational uh, fund uh, event will be the history of the driver. We've done the history of the putter and the history of the wedge. And think about it, um, from the long nose to the persimmon and from the persimmon to the Big Bertha and from the Big Bertha to your current titanium, we're going to have experts, club makers, um, and hopefully people from the industry, the moderns, uh, to talk about what they got, why they developed it, and how it all came about. That, I promise, is to be an outstanding um, uh, educational session for our members. So it'll be fun. Burn, you mentioned collecting, and typically the best golf collectibles anywhere are going to be on display at the convention. What kind of things will people see on display and for sale there? Oh, that's a great question, Chris. You know, we have the uh, world's largest gathering and collection of, uh, of golf antiques at our convention. So this year in Lexington, I'm challenging our members to have 100 members come and show their stuff and at least 25 members of the industry, um, you know, who will be there as well. But I've gone to uh, our um, annual meeting uh, and there might be uh, 100 tables where you can spend a lot of money improving your collection um, in different areas. There'll be everything from old equipment, um, every level, every era of golf uh, collectibles for the equipment. Uh, and you might be looking for a, um, a gutty ball or a feathery ball or a specific old club by a maker. You might be looking for a, oh, a, a U.S. Open or a PGA Open um, program. These are things that you'll find and see there if you like art there will be art there are people who come uh, who are famous artists and display um, some of their uh, collections and their uh, personal works uh, it's it just uh, non-stop you can go there and spend a lot of money or you can not spend a dime and go from table to table and learn 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 about what people have why it's historic important and just build your knowledge of the game of golf. It's just an opportunity that you shouldn't miss. And Bern, you mentioned art. I had the privilege of having Linda Harto on the show a few weeks ago. She's a fantastic golf landscape artist. Is Linda going to be there? I hope that Linda will be there. Uh, I know that during COVID, uh, she was adverse to travel. I might give her a call and coax her personally. Uh, we've done a Zoom call with Linda, and it was one of the best ones we ever had, where she explains where she gets an idea, how she develops it, and how she, um, the anatomy of putting together a, um, just an amazing uh, golf art piece that she does time after time. She's amazing. You guys have your own podcast, the Golf Heritage Society does. And tomorrow, I believe you're going to have Barry Hackett, a lifelong member of uh, Oakmont, coming on to be a part of the show. He's played all the existing courses that have hosted a U.S. Open. Talk about what we'll hear tomorrow night. Well, yeah, it's going to be fun. You know, we had the idea when we visited Oakmont, and uh, Barry's a uh, personable guy, and we uh, learned that he has uh, been to a lot of the U.S. Open venues, and it's his passion to complete um, the um, the the uh, total uh, number of courses that have been uh, host for that uh, U.S. Open event. And uh, he has memorabilia and collectibles to go along with his his journey. 
So we've put together a interview format. Of course, Barry doesn't need us to uh, coach him, uh, but I know that he wants to talk about um, the toughest, the most scenic, the most interesting, and then show some of his memorabilia uh, to highlight his visits to the U.S. Open uh, host venue courses. It'll be really great fun for us. You mentioned hickories a moment ago, Vern, and one of our mutual friends, Mitch Lawrence, who I got to meet for the very first time last week after having him on the show for the last several years. And he plays hickory golf clubs and you have a whole society of hickory players. I think that the world is a, a lot bigger. That world of hickory players is a lot bigger than people might think. Talk about the society of hickory golfers. Yeah, I'm a member of that society and I love it. Um, uh, they are uh, uh, a growing organization as well, um, and they have uh, become international, linking with uh, people who play internationally. Now, a lot of the uh, members of the Golf Heritage Society uh, love to collect, they love to visit, and they love to play. And um, the golf, um, the Society of um, Hickory Golfers is exclusive to uh, playing with hickory uh, golf clubs. Some of their members play authentic clubs. Some of their members play uh, replica uh, made by Tad Moore or Louisville Golf. Uh, I, myself, uh, I like to play clubs that I've collected and put together. And the Golf Heritage Society events, uh, we uh, welcome people to play uh, whatever kind of clubs they want, whether it's uh, hickory golf clubs, authentic or um, replica, uh, or um, uh, classic golf clubs. Palmer, Nicholas, Player, uh, Trevino era. Um, that era is is popular uh, and growing for collectibles as well. And people who want to play their moderns but kind of hang out with us and see what we're doing and how we're doing it, they are welcome as well. So when we do uh, our gathering, uh, we call it a heritage event so that um, we highlight um, um, the different eras of golf and people can be in divisions competitively or just come and hang out and play in the scramble event to see um, who's carrying what kind of equipment. That's how we do it. Vern, I love the old trophies and medals like the ones you have pictured on your website. Again, it's golfheritage.org. I think it would be super cool to have an amateur trophy won by Francis. We met on the shelf at my studio or a medal from Royal Montreal. What are some of the stories you've heard from the people who have come across these historical awards and people that have done that all around the world? Oh, it's just great. And I, I um, saw your post with Mitch. He's awesome. Um, and he's a wonderful guy. Uh, and uh, he has come across some uh, some of the folks who uh, uh, have uh, come across these um, uh, these collectibles as well. Uh, we, we feature uh, members um, who make it their passion uh, for golf collectibles. One of our uh, members, um, uh, Dr. George Petro uh, is an avid collector, and we hosted a Zoom call uh, about uh, the Masters recently, of course, around the Masters calendar, um, and uh, it was really great fun. And the collectibles that they had from the Masters, for example, were just amazing. So when people join our society, Chris, um, they can um, go back onto our website, Golf heritage.org uh find the members only section and go to all the zoom calls we've done now we've accumulated probably about 15 of them already 
and they can uh, uh, go and visit and understand uh, and see some of those collectibles. We're dedicated to the calendar. We're doing the U.S. Open Zoom. Barry will present some of his collectibles. We'll record that. Uh, of course, we'll do uh, the Open, uh, and we'll we'll uh, uh, enjoy that as well. So we'll do the majors for sure, uh, and we'll find um, uh, very interesting uh, personages in the game of golf. Uh, uh, Bob Jones the Fourth told uh, some very intimate stories about. Um, you know, his grandfather and his memories of uh, Augusta as a youth and, and uh, so many um, uh, good memories uh, and some honest uh, discussion of some of the internal workings of uh, what it's like to be in the world of uh, uh, the masters, uh, et cetera. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very fortunate of us to have uh, connectivity and a lot of people who have become members to uh, share their careers like Linda uh, and Michael Herdzen uh, and these very um, connected architects and uh, uh, others who, um, who really represent the best of the game of golf. Burn to switch gears just a little bit. Most everybody knows about the two great golf courses that aren't far from Pittsburgh and Oakmont and Mr. Palmer's home course there at Latrobe Country Club. But talk about some of the other great historical golf courses that are in the area that maybe people don't know as much about. Well, thanks, Chris, for that wide open opportunity. I'm going to mention two. Um, uh, five hours south in, in West Virginia, up in the hills above the Greenbrier, eight miles from the Greenbrier, is where golf was first contested for a medal, Oakhurst. Um, the Oakhurst medal is in the USGA Museum. And it happened because a bag of clubs was brought over by a fellow uh, who returned from Scotland and some farmers and, and businessmen said, what are those and what are they for? And those guys created uh, that um, that uh, uh, event. They actually built a six-hole course and contested for several years. Currently today, that course is grown over. It's owned by the Greenbrier and we're trying to untangle it. Uh, our society strongly uh, fosters and favors getting that done so that the world can come back to America's oldest uh, place of contested golf. So that's the story there. Stay tuned because we're going to uh, continue to uh, push to get Oakhurst back. Uh, The other course is an hour plus north of Pittsburgh, up 79 and just over on 80 East, uh, Foxburg, Foxburg Country Club, 1884 the oldest continuing operating course in America. And it is a nine-hole track. Uh, and we, we play uh, an event there called the Foxburg Hickory Open. Foxburg has an amazing uh, history and an amazing clubhouse. And upstairs, it has a museum that is free to visit. They have a wonderful collection of antique golf clubs and balls. Uh, and it's a great place to visit. It's a great place to play. That old girl has hosted the earliest golf clubs and everything since. So you can visit Foxburg and you can play your old clubs pre-1900, modern hickory pre-1935. You can play classic clubs and you can play your modern clubs on that nine hole track and you will be uh, challenged and uh, you will have a great time. 
Aren't a great friend of the show, Christian Sheehan, is the director of golf up there at the Pittsburgh Field Club. It's got a great history there in, in Pittsburgh. Talk about what you have there in the Pittsburgh Field Club. Wow. Pittsburgh Field Club and um, Oakmont and Fox Chapel are uh, ancient, uh, wonderful uh, notables uh, around the city of Pittsburgh. And not everybody knows that the original Muni uh, in Pittsburgh at Shenley Park uh, was built um, by the um, the aristocracy of, of Pittsburgh, the um, very successful industrialists. But they built it on Shenley Park on uh, public property. They established the Pittsburgh Golf Club clubhouse at the top of the hill. And it was quite uh, notable and exclusive. Um, and they kind of used the property. Um, but the, the property really was public. And when it was challenged, um, uh, the, the industrialist said, you know, you're right. This should be long. This, this course should be long. Uh, to the public, and it became the Shenley Park Golf Course in the city. And from that, the um, the folks that built that first golf course went on to build Pittsburgh Field Club and the Fox Chapel Golf Club, both absolutely fabulous golf courses of note. Uh, and of course, everyone knows about Oakmont. It was a spinoff of that original uh, episode that I just described as well. How about that for some golf history? There you go. Vern, I can't let you go without getting your thoughts on, on the Pirates. Are fans starting to buy in? Are, is, are the locals starting to get excited that, hey, maybe this team can actually do something? I'm going to say this carefully so that it comes across. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we, I want to get down there. It's a beautiful uh, venue great place and i uh i i need it to warm up uh and now that it has i will be down there chris Vern, it's always a privilege to get to spend some time with you it was wonderful seeing you at the pga merchandise show it's wonderful having you back as part of the show again tonight i hope i get that privilege again real soon you're doing great things and in so many in so many areas with all the things you're doing at the golf heritage society it's a wonderful organization you're a wonderful man, and I can't thank you enough for coming back tonight. Chris, you're so gracious. I can't thank you enough. It was great to see you in Florida. I look forward to our next time we hang out. Thank you so much, and God bless. Bye-bye. Take care, Vern. That is the great Vern Bernanke, folks, and he is the president of the Golf Heritage Society, doing wonderful things for the history and maintaining the history of our game. Plus, on top of that, you heard about the things coming up at their convention between the collectibles and, and the educational things that they offer, the artwork that's going to be there. I really do hope Linda Harto goes back and is a part of that wonderful event. Um, and getting to sit down with Byrne earlier this year at the PGA Merchandise Show, like I say, just a wonderful man. And hearing the stories and the things that they are doing and the things that they are involved with and the educational things that they bring forward and and being a part of the first tee and doing those sorts of things as well. And then obviously with, with my wonderful friendship with Mitch Lawrence and the, and the Hickory piece, the, the way that they keep that going in the Hickory society is fantastic. Um, it's, it's just a wonderful organization from head to toe and he's the president of it. And that's why it's wonderful. Cause as we all know, things flow downhill. And when you've got a great president, 
you're going to have a great society as well. So I, I can't thank Kim enough for coming back to be a part of the show. And I hope you'll go back out on, on their website again, golfheritage.org, O-R-G, obviously, and, uh, and sign up and, and get, a, get to be a part of what they're doing and, and go back and look at all their Zoom different meetings that they've had and the things that they talk about. Uh, it's, it's well worth your time. I think you'll be very happy that you did. And like I say, I hope I get that privilege of getting back together with Burn a little bit later on this year. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf. Game-changing, three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out to Tom Patry, Bill Bergen, Joe Groman, and Dr. Bern Bernacki for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are Drew Kohler of Blue Tees Golf will be making his Next on the Tee debut. Following Drew will be another Next on the Tee rookie and one of the great broadcasters of our time, Jerry Foltz. Our good friend and LPGA Top 50 instructor, Debbie O'Connell, We'll be back with me, as will a great hockey analyst and a former goalie, Darren Pang. Folks, this show can be found available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcast content. In particular, we're out there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audioboom, Player.fm, and Good Pods. And my thanks to the folks at Good Pods for making this show one of their recommended podcasts. Download their free app and stream your favorite podcasts on whatever device you listen to your podcasting content on. But most of all, my sincere thanks to all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.